This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. This is the podcast by young makers, about young makers, and for everybody. So thank you for joining us this week. I know it's been a couple weeks since I've had a guest, so thank you for bearing with me. Well, one week, nothing, because I was sick, and then, you know, my motivational speech, which I don't don't know how that was, but yeah, we're back with another fantastic guest. We'll see if I remember how to do an interview, but without further ado, I am pleased to introduce you guys to Mael Miser. Hey, what's up? So you are a really a really talented uh, young bladesmith, and you know I'll let you take it away and tell them a little bit more about yourself. All right. So, um, like uh, like Kenzie said, I'm uh, Maël Missier. That's the French pronunciation. Oh, wow, that was close. <laughs> it was close. Yeah, it was fine. Um, I make I've been making knives for like two years, but I've been only selling them for one year, kind of selling them. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I make all, all sorts of knives. Awesome. So I know we talked about right before the interview, um, that you really enjoy kitchen knives and, you know, so do I. So I don't know. You just want to take a second and say, you know, what draws you to kitchen knives? Sure. Um, I think what draws me to kitchen knives the most is probably that it's the type of knife that I use the most. I really enjoy cooking too. And, um, oh, yeah, I'll, it's so satisfying to make a knife that I can use. And, uh, it's often hard to part with the knife that I've made. So I think, yeah, that makes them my favorite knives. Awesome. I can, I definitely feel you. I don't hunt or anything. So kitchen knives are a natural choice for me. And I love that feeling of when you get a nice thin edge, when you grind it almost to zero. I love that. Oh yeah. It so. cuts like it cuts through anything like butter. Yeah, that's the best feeling. So, you know, let's get uh let's get deeper. We know a little bit about you. We've scratched the surface, but I'd love for you to take us back to your origin story and where it all began. I'd love to hear it. Bring us up to today. Okay, so um I probably started making making things I started making things a long time ago, but I started making, like, I guess, weapons, you could say, when I was uh, nine, like, five years ago. And um, it was, like, with my friends, we were, like, we loved going outside and and exploring, like, the neighborhoods. By the way, this was in France, so um, growing up in France was a lot different than in the U.S. We could, uh, we would, like, carve stuff with our knives and... And we could just like go out in the woods, and I, I had woods pretty much right right by my house, which was amazing. And um, so yeah, I think wanting to have more knives and and not having a job or anything, being nine, I couldn't afford knives. Sometimes, like with birthday money, I would get knives, but um, I think that drew me to like taking cafeteria spoons and sharpening them. And uh, making knives like that, 
and that's how that's pretty much how it started but um only about like two years ago that i like for a few years i was really into video games and only about two years ago when um like this was in the united states i started taking watching a lot of youtube videos on uh on knife making and i took like files and stuff and uh i got a bench grinder and uh that's that's all you really need something to grind the metal away and and it was it was just awesome with my with my dremel i could shape the handles and i i loved it that's probably what got me really hooked into uh, into knife making and awesome. uh, oh, go ahead. And then I started making better knives once I got a four by thirty six from uh, Harbor Freight, and and then now a few months ago, well, actually probably almost half a year ago now, I got I got my two by seventy two from a Mary Braid, and it's it's been it allowed me to make knives that are really I I'd like to say pretty nice yeah well the 2x72 I noticed too like the first knife I made on there was a noticeable step oh yeah. just like this giant chasm between where my knives were before and where they where they jumped to straight off getting that machine the the accuracy and the variation of the you know the grits that you can get and having actual metal sanding paper makes such a huge difference yeah I would only when I would hand sand blades I would start like I would use 80 grits to grind the bevels in on my 4x36 and then I would start hand sanding at 220 grit and it would just take me hours for even just like for a small knife it would take me hours it was it was terrible yeah that's how it was for me too just last summer well not like I guess two summers ago regardless about you know a year or two ago that's how it was too yeah so when did you start forging? Oh, okay. Well, forging is like, yeah, I started doing that. Uh, I wanted to get into forging for a while, but I couldn't. I was looking for an anvil. Um, probably, uh, I don't know, the first time I really forged on an anvil, I think was like only a few days after Christmas. So like maybe in like the first few days in January, I'm not sure, but like that's the first time I ever forged, and so, it's so satisfying moving that hot metal that uh, yeah, I was just I was hooked. Yeah, that's what gets you. I love the look of the steel, the smell. You know, hot steel has a smell. Or is that just me? I think I think the smell is just you, but the, <laughs> how it glows, it's 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 really satisfying and. It's just. Have you, ever, have you ever forged at night? Uh, have I ever forged a knife? At at night. Oh, at night. Oh yeah, I used to when I started. Uh, but usually I think it's, it's it's really cool, but um, I don't really have any lights. So the only light that uh, it, it comes from my forge in the hot steel, which yeah. makes it even cooler. But, like, I can't really see around me, and it makes it kind of dangerous. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous. I've only done it a couple times just when it starts to get dark. But when when it's nighttime, for those of you who don't know, 
you can see the steel get hot where you hit it. So yeah. like the exact point where you hit it almost goes from like red to a yellow just for a second. Yeah, that as is... you hit it and you can see that at night when it's dark. Ooh, sorry, I bumped my microphone. Uh, just let me readjust that. Ooh, that's that's not professional, is it? <laughs> so, ooh, there. Okay. <laughs> we're back. Technical difficulties there, but we're we're back and rolling now. So yeah, you're absolutely right about forging, and I have some massive news about forging, actually, uh, that I'm going to get into when we start talking about our past weeks, but just to build some suspense, I would, uh, I'd love to hear what you've been up to this last week. Um, well, I have pretty much everything laid down, laid out on my desk here. Um, I have some, a knife that I just heat treated, um, made from some San Mai that I started, a long time ago. I have no idea when. Um, I started it a long time ago and I just now decided yesterday to finish drawing it out and uh, start making the knife from it. So that's going pretty well. I'm kind of disappointed because it was, it was my first ever forge weld and it's slightly delaminating in one spot, but I think it'll be fine for the use of this knife. And um, I have a 26C3 Tanto that I'm making uh, sort of traditional Japanese Tanto. Well, at least I'm trying to make it like the shape traditional, but uh, definitely still going to use my 2x72 on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited for both of those builds. Awesome. And I want to talk about 26C3 with you later because yeah. uh, everybody that's listened to the show before knows that I love to rant about 26C3, which I've never touched, seen, held, or used, but I'm really excited to use it soon. So, I mean, everybody knows that I want to use it, but I have to talk to you about, you know, your experiences with it. But first, you know, here, a drum roll, please, because my week has been awesome. It's been awesome. It's been crazy, and it's been awesome. So... Let's let's bring it back, you know, last weekend um, after, well, I guess that would have been before last episode. So anyways, um, Friday, shoot, my days are all messed up. Thursday, I was early out from school, so I got some uh, hand sanding done. I got a blade all finished out. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw my story. I overheated it last weekend. Uh, it was supposed oh, yeah. to be a custom order, but that's out the window. So... I've reprofiled it. I'm really loving it, actually. I really love the profile. Um, and so, yeah, I got that all hand-sanded and ready to go. It just needs a handle. And then Friday came, and so did Ethan Hardy came to my new shop with a 25-pound little giant power hammer. And we that's the first tool in the new shop, which it was full of some, you know, it was used for storage before, and now it's pretty much empty. So we put the little giant in there, and it's so exciting. It's so awesome. Uh, I needed a new V-belt, and to get the V-belt on to connect the clutch to the motor, you have to take the entire top of the hammer and the ram and everything off and put the belt on and then put it all back together. So I'm pretty well acquainted with the parts of the hammer at this point because I've, you know, almost rebuilt it completely. Almost. And so I did that, and then... Oh, then I had to wire up the motor. So then yesterday I got it swinging. 
and I beat some pieces of wood and it was great. Then today we built the base for it. My grandpa helped me out with that and we need to uh, just attach the mo the hammer to the base and I'll be good to get forging over the next week. I only have school this week, Monday, Tuesday, and then we get a little fall break because uh, our school this year is on a quarter system instead of semesters, so it's a quarter break. So I get a week off and I'm hoping to move into the new shop throughout that week and play with the power hammer some more. Uh, it's cold. We got like, I don't know, six or eight inches of snow. It's hard to tell because it all blew into drifts, but you know, there's drifts of snow like a foot and a half deep. Uh, so it's just, it's just cold and windy and snowy. And it was really nice to get into the new insulated shop, which has a nice wood burning stove. And we got it nice and toasty in there. So that was super exciting. Uh, if you follow, oh, sorry. If, if you follow me on Instagram at Aaron Iron and Steel, you'll have seen the power hammer in the shop. Uh, not a lot of knives coming out in the next couple of weeks, but lots of shop work. So that sounds awesome. Yeah, I wish I had a power hammer, especially like coming with it coming from Ethan Hardy. That's that's just amazing. Yeah, well, if you guys want to hear Ethan on the show, then you just might be in luck sometime soon. I don't want to yeah. give too much away, but you know, that would be awesome. So anyways, yeah, and Ethan was a super cool guy. Like he came, he brought it to me for free because we live pretty close, which I appreciate. Uh helped unload it and then he had to take off, but yeah, he was really good. It was cool to meet him. It's like a celebrity, you know? <laughs> it's like a celebrity shows up at your door with the thing you've wanted for like 4 years. Uh yeah. What an awesome experience for you. Oh, it was super cool. So, that's my past week. I definitely enjoyed it, I gotta admit. I don't know how I'm gonna make it through tomorrow because I can't see my little giant. Now, we've covered you pretty well. We've got your backstory uh, all the way back from the beginning and the past week, which I'm excited to see how that San Mai, and I've been following that, um, that Tonto on Instagram. I'm excited to see it. I like that you chose the rounded point instead of the, like, chiseled, tip oh yeah you know, katana grind is, i voted opinion, for the it's, round it's yeah and it's it's a lot cooler and you don't see a lot of those so i think it'll be pretty unique at least yeah i like it a lot so Thank with you. that you know we've got the pass down pretty well let's get into the the young makers part of the young makers podcast and these are you know two questions that i ask everybody that comes on the show and you know i get a much wider range of answers than i ever expected and that's why these questions stay alive it's it's always started interesting conversation and yeah so that's just what i wanted to say is this question has turned out a lot better than i ever expected it to what would you say are some of the challenges of being a young maker you know we're smaller we're younger uh, we're not as wise. We've we've got a lot to go up against. So, what would you, what have you noticed that sometimes you wish you were a little bit older? Um, what I've noticed is, uh, I think a lot of people have said this is that, uh, especially if you don't have a job like me, it's very, it's pretty difficult to make your money to grow your business. It was, uh, 
it took a lot of saving up for me to buy my 2x72 and uh, and a lot of other tools and I think we're all a little short in, on uh, money if I'm honest and also just having school and I guess it would be the same if you had a job but like you really have to focus on school and you do your I mean at least in my case I really want to focus on school and um, so you know I have homework every night and I if I have if I have homework I'm gonna focus on that instead of going out in the shop which unfortunately that takes a lot more time out of uh, out of making knives yeah and how painful is it when you have a half finished knife on your desk while you're trying to do your math problems I know those those just have to go in the shop for me I can't even oh yeah I know it, on my it desk. bothers me <laughs> and another thing that I'd like to add to that list is uh not being able to drive my sh my new shop is um at my grandparents house about five minutes out of town and you know they're really great and my mom is really great about driving me out there but you know, it would still be nice to be able to drive myself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, me, it's... Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that is that is certainly an issue. Um, in in Louisiana, in the, which is the state that I'm in, that I live in, is there's uh, this blacksmith association called LAMA, Louisiana Middle Smith Association, and there are meetings every month, but I can't attend them most of the time because they're a little bit too far. Now this one, like it's next Saturday, well this Saturday actually, it's, um, my parents are gonna drive me. They agreed that, uh, you know, it's not too far. So they'll drive me as long as it's not like, if it's more than 30 minutes, then that's, I mean, I don't wanna travel 30 minutes already for more than 30 minutes back and forth. But um, I probably would attend more if, if I were able to drive um yeah i think certainly not being able to drive has to be one of the biggest issues not being able to when you have like when you're just missing epoxy or something like yeah. that you can't go out and buy it you have to you have to wait till your parents can drive you and i happen to live right behind a pv mart i don't know do you guys have pv mart in the states probably not. Um, it's it's just like a hardware store and a farm goods, you know, it's like a, for all the farmers can get their stuff there, so they've got a yeah. range of stuff from like hardware to, you know, tractor parts and horse food and all that type of stuff, so I can they, get most of the stuff I need there. They might have it somewhere in the U.S., but I'm not sure. I've never seen one. I um, think it's a pretty Canadian thing. What what I have is uh, Home Depot. Most of you have probably heard of it. Yeah. So uh, it's right by my house, but it's like it's too far for me to walk and like bring back, I don't know, like a two by four or something. I don't know, whatever I need. I don't have to walk home with that. Uh, it's like half a mile or something. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, see, I can see the roof of the PV Mart from my bedroom window. So, oh, yeah, That's... I'm pretty good. It's like half a block. But still, any anything further than that, though, and I don't like to go get stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, especially now that my shop is out of town, we're gonna. It's gonna take some careful planning, I suppose. Are you uh, planning on getting your driver's license or something soon? 
Yeah, I get my driver's license next year. Okay. So in the in this summer. Nice. It's not too far away, but it has always it's it's always been a bit of an inconvenience. Or like I live in a town, so if I wanted to go to the big city to get like, you know, any leather tools or you know, higher end stuff that you can't just get at the hardware store, I always have to wait until we're going there for something else. Yeah. I get that. That's inconvenient. But online shopping helps a lot. Yeah, that makes that a lot easier. But for every dark, there is a light. And I have always found that there's a lot more good to being a young maker. I'm I'm happy every day that I started young enough that I have time to do everything I want. So, you know, what what do you find are the advantages of starting young? Yeah, I definitely agree with you with that. I think uh, it's it's so advantageous to start as a young maker. First of all, I believe that young people, it's just like learning a language. It's so much easier to learn a language or learn anything when you're younger than to learn it when you're when you're 20 or when your brain is when your brain has been fully developed. I believe it would probably take a lot longer to to learn something like knife making when a young person can memorize all those movements uh, pretty quickly. I think um, another another advantage is that you know sometimes my parents are willing to pay stuff for me, so I don't always buy everything. I buy most of the things, most of my supplies, but um, you know my parents have have bought knives from me as gifts, so that's helped out a lot, and. Uh, it's just being able to use their shop and have all the tools from my dad. Um, like, I don't use a table saw. If, if I need something cut by the table saw, my dad will do it. But, you know, I have access to a table saw. I have access to um, all the woodworking tools because my dad is mostly a woodworker. So, you know, just being, being somewhere where uh, already... My parents were already, um, they already had a shop that was pretty much fully equipped for me to start knife making, like files and stuff. Um, I think that helped out a lot. Yeah, and support from your family is so important. Um, yes. Was your dad, is your dad a professional woodworker or a hobbyist? Oh, hobbyist, yeah. Uh, both of my parents are teachers, so uh, my dad does it on the side. Uh, it's still nice to have a shop to go into. And I mention it all the time. My grandpa and my dad are welders. So, you know, I get... I don't know if you've ever seen those big pipeliners files. Yeah. Yeah, those were what I used, always used to use when I was little. I, they'd bring me all the, like, broken ones, or I got a new one once. and They're pretty ragged, you know. They, they go pretty hard. Although I found lately I like a bastard cut better. But, root, you know, that's... That's a moot point. I Are love files. Like, as I, rough as Farrier's Rasp? Hmm. Uh, it's hard to say. The, they're very different, like, shaped. You know, the teeth are... Anyways, it's it's a crazy... Those are crazy files. I love files. Like, I love brand new files. Or, or the feeling of when a file is cutting well on nice soft steel or something. That's yeah. a nice feeling. I need more files, that's for sure. Everybody needs more files. 
And I need more handles for my files. That makes a big difference. Oh, yeah. Like, anybody out there struggling with files, get, get some handles or a golf ball or something. Makes a big difference. Even a ball of duct tape has worked for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Maybe a little sticky, but it'll do. So, that brings me to, if you say you need more files, what's the next tool that you're eyeing up? Well, um, probably some sort of a better file guide. I recently had to make another one, but because the previous one broke, but they're not very sturdy, and uh, having a carbide file guide would be great. Probably one from uh, those Bill Banky file guides uh, from the Alex Steel shop, you know? Yeah, I've been looking at those too. Oh yeah, they, they seem amazing. And like a big tool would probably be, I'm not sure, it would probably take a lot of saving up, but um, something like some some sort of uh, of heat, heating control, like controlled heating thing, like a, a good oven to a good kiln to heat treat, but I'm not sure. It would probably be like more accessories for my my build grinder. I I'm never really sure what I want next or what what's the next thing I'm gonna get until you know I really realize that okay I have a need for this right now and it's worth it for me to get it. Um, until then I usually just save up or spend my money on other stuff that I that I see and I think is cool and I need. Yeah, that's how that's how most of my uh, purchases go too. I've been looking at yeah heat treating oven next because um, I caught the power hammer. I'm yep. renting it by the way. Um, for all those who haven't been listening the past couple weeks, which is so lucky I couldn't afford to buy one for a long time, and this is gonna make it uh, possible for me to save up to buy my own as well. You know, because I'll increase production a lot. And I'm looking into uh, doing some production work on some, possibly some cold chisels and uh, leather, like Japanese skiving knives I've been looking at. These are just like idle ideas right now, but it's things that I've been thinking about the Power Hammer could help with. Now, besides that, uh, yeah, a heat treating kiln is the next, I got to agree with you fully. Heat treating kiln, I want real bad. And, yeah, I got to agree again on the file guide I've been ogling at. Just the aluminum one, you know. Yeah. It's nice that you can rub it right up against the belt sander, too. Yeah, that's probably... I think it would be a good choice for me to buy that next. But yeah. they're still pretty expensive. What they do you are. Run? Like, near 100 bucks. Yeah, yeah. And right now I've just been using one hardened piece of O1. Not not like two with bolts, just one. Because <laughs> I made one and then I tightened it too tight the first time and cracked it in half. And so one of the pieces is whole and one of them is cracked. So I just use one and it, you know, it gets the job done. I use uh, two pieces. Currently I'm using two pieces of 26C3. So it's still tempered because I've, I've accidentally put a little bit of pressure on the hardened 26C3 and it's so hard it's it's going to break like right away. So yeah. I yeah, I still tempered it and I think I tempered it too much 
because now the file will will actually um it'll kind of slightly dig in i think uh -huh. it'll take a i mean it'll scratch it, the surface but i think over time it'll wear down and i'll need to make a new one or maybe yeah. if i can reheat treat these i don't know yeah no and 26c3 should be a good choice because i don't know doesn't alpha say that it uh it hardens up to like a 68 yeah that's crazy 68 is crazy yeah and you have to keep it up at a 63 don't you because i think once you start getting down you're tempering at like 500 to get down to uh down to like a 61 which is pretty nice for a chef's knife um then you start getting what's called tempered martensite embrittlement where it actually gets more brittle because it's over-tempered martensite. So you've got to keep that hardness up nice and high, which is kind of interesting. It's made as a razor steel, so it's supposed to take like the keenest, finest edge and, you know, you're not going to be hitting your razor into a 2x4 or nothing, so. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's a, it goes down to 60 HRC at 500 degrees. And if you want like a a soft like a softer at least 55 HRC, it's like over 650 degrees, like 675 degrees. That's I've never tempered something that high. No, that's way too hot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you can you can totally leave it at like a 65, and it's you know nice and that's how it's supposed to be used, which is crazy. That's why I really want to play with it. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about that steel a little bit more in your experiences? Because usually we have lots of knife makers on here and we all use, you know, 1095, 1084, 01, uh, very simple carbon steels. Now 26C3 is also a very simple carbon steel, but just with outrageous amounts of carbon and a little bit of chromium. Yeah. So do you want to talk about how you've found it? Sure. Um, the first time I bought it, I was... It was like relatively new. I think it was, I had just noticed it for the first time, or maybe it was just brand new, but uh, I had noticed it for the first time, at least on uh, on Alpha Net Supply. And I checked out the heat treat uh, information. I was like, I could probably do that. And uh, so I, I tried it out and I was actually really disappointed. I underheated it and it came out so soft I could just dig into it with a oh. with a file but i was i was not very good at heat treating and um i tended to mess it up a lot so now i can i can get it consistently but um you know uh alpha nice alpha knife supply says that the mill recommends quenching in water um they don't recommend it but i wouldn't recommend it either i've had great success with quenching in water but i've also had terrible failures like a huge crack running through the entire blade pretty much so quenching it in hot canola oil works perfectly for me that's what i've done and um that's what i that's what i i will keep doing i like 2063 a lot um i've never actually tested a blade but a lot of people say that uh it performs greatly and honestly with how hard it gets and and everything i've heard from it i think i believe that i think it would be a great performer for uh kitchen knives or here it's pretty close to uh 
um, what's it called? Hitachi White Steel, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's I like how they how uh, Alpha Knife Supply calls it. Spicy white. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Now the issue with that, and there's something that um, young makers are transitioning to, and so this I'm going to tie this into the same question, but your market on such a hard steel is a little bit less. So even though you get this high performance, it's very difficult to sharpen. And so most of the people that would want such a hard steel, um, they would be traditionally trained Japanese cooks because they're trained to use that hard, very hard, hard steel and you know how to sharpen it. Whereas most people have learned to sharpen and sharpen all their lives on, you know, 58 to 61 Rockwell steel. Whereas when you start getting a 65 you spend a lot of time at your stones on that, even though it'll hold an edge for so long. And so even though it may be a really fun steel to work with, I wonder how large the market for such a hard steel would be. And I um, I don't know. I would just assume that most Western cooks would have no... would They would not, you know, be so interested in such a hard steel. Well... And, oh, go ahead. I mean, I think especially for... Uh kitchen knives with how thin they are most of the time i don't think that would really be an issue because you don't have that much uh, material to remove usually my kitchen knives uh they're thin enough to where like i can start on a core stone and pretty quickly raise a burr on the other side and uh you know from there it's just like it's pretty quick the rest of the sharpening process so i don't think that would be too much of an issue of course i mean you know a knife maker's uh viewpoint on something is always different from the customers yeah and i feel like there definitely is a market for super hard steels and it's uh it's sort of a fad right now i think or maybe not a fad but it's a trend right now i was looking into getting some knives professionally heat treated and the place said they won't even if you request it they won't heat treat over a 63 because they think that's just dumb so i don't know I don't honestly don't know anything about it. I'm working primarily right now with 1084 just for ease. I know Alpha, or I was reading on the forums and they recommended not heat treating in a forge. Or they, they said you needed a soak. But I have a feeling it's relatively simple and you could probably get away with it. And like you said, you've had good good results. So I'm, I still am excited to try and use it. I mean, yeah, a lot of people say a soak uh, like a lot of people recommend a soak for a lot of steels um i don't know honestly i mean i'm i'm sure for like very high alloy steels the the precise amount of time you soak is is probably very important but even for 2063 i don't think it was very i mean i just i hold it at the temperature for maybe like one or two minutes and then i quench because i don't want to accidentally overheat something or I I don't I don't think it's ever really required on on basic like carbon steels. Yeah. No, that's how I do it too is I keep it there as, you know, I try and bring it up to temperature as slowly as I can. Yeah. Um and then I'll I'll hold it for 2 or 3 minutes as long as I can and then I'll quench. But I guess and for people who don't know the reason that you might soak is because all of the carbides in there and the grains of the steel and the so the carbon the carbon it uh it comes into solution and i don't know how to explain that 
like any better. I'm not an expert, but that's that's the term. Is the carbon comes into solution, so there are no carbides at all. It's completely soft, and that's why you can forge hot steel. Uh, also, because of the movement of the grains or the atoms, but that carb the carbon comes into solution, and so because 26C3 is such a high carbon steel, it's what 1.2 or something percent carbon uh 1.25 according to alpha nice oh i was pretty close so yeah (laughs) it's got such a high carbon that it takes a little bit longer for all of those carbons to come into solution versus a 1084 which has 0.84 you know it takes it's a euctoid point steel is what uh 1084 is known as because that amount of carbon comes into solution really and hardens really easily it's that sort of that sweet spot of the easiest steel to harden. And then when you start tossing things in like chromium, which makes its own carbides, vanadium, cobalt, any of these other uh, carbide-forming elements, then you end up having more soak time and precise things and you know cryogenic treatment to get the full hardness out. And it just gets more complicated branching out of 0.84% carbon and 99 six percent iron i see you've done a lot of research on uh on steel do you like read uh knife steel nerds um occasionally i've been trying to find the best steel f- and get the best results out of the steel i use but looking into making product i hate the word production line yeah. but looking into making one model of knife that i make repeatedly so you know production model I've been trying to find the best wood and the best steel to use for the knife and the most reliable heat treat. And so, yeah, I've read a little bit about it. Yeah, I like it. I'm probably the only kid in my class that can tell you how steel hardens, but it's pretty good. Um, I, I can't really explain it. I mean, I know, I know, like, the carbon dissolves and stuff, and I don't really know all the... I don't really know all like the entire process. I know like the uh, the, the steel molecules like are rearranged and stuff and into some sort of like crystalline uh, yeah uh, structure. I think that's what I've heard Walter Sorrell say. But uh, mostly I've just like researched how to heat treat it and and just given it a shot. And uh, yeah. there, that's all. Well, it's all you need and. The martensite is, yeah, when it when it cools very quickly, the carbides lock into a, a more rigid uh, form. The way that they connect to each other is you know, like a, a more crystalline or a rigid lattice. And so that's why it's harder. And anyways, though, anyways, that's a little bit of a tangent. There's your crash course on heat treating carbon steels. Um, I hope I didn't lose anybody there. If you really want to know something from somebody who actually knows their stuff, go on the Makery Network, find Knife Talk Podcast, and listen to their interview with Dr. Laren Thomas of Knife Steel Nerds. Uh, he knows, he's, you know, he's highly educated in this. He's a doctor of metallurgy, so he could obviously tell you so, so much more than I possibly could. Definitely check that out and all the other shows and episodes on the Makery Network. Or there's new episodes streaming every single day across the platform, made for makers just like you. So definitely go check that out. Uh, 
So with that little plug out of the way. Oh, and speaking of plug, uh, well, I've been using this power hammer. Uh, it's been very loud, and so I've plugged in my Isotunes earbuds. I mentioned them last episode, but I just wanted to, you know, touch on them real quick again. Just a week later into using them, uh, I charged them once this week, and I've used them every day, which is really nice. The battery life I've been happy with, and they're just really great. Check out Isotunes. You know, they're hearing protection. They're rated for hearing protection like OSHA noise compliant, which is super nice when you're in the shop working on the grinder. Um, you don't need to pull, you don't need to have your phone with you. You don't need to pull your phone out to adjust Young Maker's podcast volume so you can hear me. Uh, everything is done through the earbuds. It's very easy to use. And they just asked for a review. They didn't actually like give me a script or anything to say. This is just honestly what I think about it. Uh, the only issue I have, and I did find how to put them in right so that they don't stick out of my ear so funny so they look a lot nicer that issue's gone but the only issue I have is the ones that I got are green and the green color you know you're touching them and pulling them in and out with really dirty hands uh, especially working on that power hammer was just grease and so that green I'm worried and green in the case as well and so I'm worried that it's gonna get very dirty and grimy over time so I might even take them out and paint them, I don't know. But that's just one thing to be aware of. I would recommend buying the black ones. The green or orange, I feel like it'll get dirty in the shop. Anyways, that's the last time I'm yeah, going to mention them, the, by the um, way. You know. I have the um, 3M ear protection. Cool. Like, I'm pretty sure it's the same that like most people wear. Like, um, Sorry, I... His... Alex Steele wears oh. think. And... And the green is just there's green on it, and it's like you said, it's kind of it's kind of gross. Oh, it sorry, gets... can you restart what you were saying? Your your audio cut out for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, um, the I use the um, 3M ear protection, like earmuffs, and um, I'm pretty sure most people like I think Alex Steele uses that, and uh, I've seen a lot of people use them, and they work awesome. But the green on it is, it gets it gets just so dirty. With working on the grinder, you'll have like metal dust on your hand or like hand sanding. I'll I'll, I'll forget to take them off while I'm hand sanding, and when I when I do take them off, it just the green gets so dirty, and I don't know. Maybe it's possible to wash it off. Probably not best for uh for your earphones though, with like the electronics and stuff. Yeah. No, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how they go. But the difference between these and your 3M is, you know, you can't listen to Young Maker's podcast through your 3M earphones, can you? Head, headphone, whatever you call them, earmuffs. Uh, I think they do make some that uh, play music, though. Shh! Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> this is a, this is good. No, I like them. Oh, I guess I should also mention I dropped my uh, earbuds like three times yesterday. And one time it actually bounced like a foot off the concrete floor and they they still work completely fine. So uh, I don't know if that says something about them. So anyways, off of that. So what are your future plans with Miser? I want to say Miser. You said something different. Miz miser blade works <laughs> yeah um 
future plans probably just a hobby i mean you know i think um in your interview with jesse who he explained it pretty much just how i would explain it but i'll i'll uh, i'll put i'll include my version of it i guess um is that being like i think it's just being an uh he said like being an asian but like i would say being an immigrant it's uh often like you're taught that school is priority i mean in france there weren't many people like there weren't many people that i knew that were going to do welding or anything i don't think i knew anyone at all that was going to do that but that's possible here in the us but um in france and and in most other countries were taught that um you should stick to education and go to college and get a, a good job and that's that's the way to success so i think uh Monsieur bladeworks is going to stay as a hobby and maybe make a little bit of money off of it and i think it would still be really cool to to still keep it as a hobby but um yeah i don't think i'll i don't think i'll make it into a real business unfortunately yeah well to each his own i'm i'm in it 100% i'm going i'm going full ham as the kids these days like to say um yeah i'm into it i've started learning how to do art so that i can go to the art school at least for a year uh possibly get a bachelor's degree in the arts but i don't know if i'll need to go all the way on it uh we'll see but i intend to try and go to the art school because they have uh a medals a medals class you can get like a bachelor of fine arts in metals and jewelry sculpture uh ceramics and pottery um glass blowing all this type of stuff that i feel like could expand my horizons as to what i do and so i'm trying to build a portfolio in attempts to get it going there next year or not next year year after next year i'd be applying next year um in two years i'd be going hopefully if i can make it um and then taking some business courses possibly some mechanical engineering courses to help build my own machines and yeah i'm just trying to dedicate myself fully into it that's the dream that's awesome uh eventually i want to start a school for for not just knife making but all crafts from like f- fine furniture making all these types of like things you couldn't go to trade school to learn so if you went to trade school you'd learn welding or carpentry as in building a house or plumbing all these types of things that you know the working with your hands or as i'd love to start a craft school instead of a trade school it's somewhere between art and craft or somewhere between art and trade is that craft school and so yeah you could learn like functional jewelry cuz it's art jewelry at the art school but you'd learn yeah functional things like that you'd learn to make a knife you'd learn to weave or something uh, and all that stuff and so hopefully learning to do lots of those things and meeting people that do those things over the next couple over the next you know 30 years or something eventually maybe you guys can go to the Kensi Aaron School of Craft I don't know Oh yeah I look forward to that That'll be yeah that would be absolutely awesome dude That is uh that's something that I would love to be able to do honestly Well, you know, I'm that's that's part of what this podcast is for secretly. I'll never let you guys know, but 
Uh, it's nice to have this podcast to help make connections. You know, maybe some of the people you guys are listening to today, to today, that relationship, eventually there'll be a teacher at my school. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see if that's something that I can do, stay dedicated to that. But that's that's the ultimate dream. And I'm sure this isn't the last you guys are going to hear about this. I, I always like to talk about my dreams. <laughs> No. You've got Those are... big plans, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I try. I <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, speaking of uh you you mentioned that you don't intend to take this into a proper business, but right now along with Christmas money, this is your only source of income, correct? Pretty much, yeah. This is so, That's true. So, a lot of our listeners are like me and you were a year ago. We're wishing we could sell some of our stuff. You know, we're sitting on some nice stuff and we're just wishing, you know, we could get some money to buy a belt sander. So how did you transition from a hobby into a business? Um, I don't think I ever really made the transition into a business, but I guess I guess you could say kind of like I guess when I got my two by 72, that's when I really started uh, making a lot more knives. Well, not I don't make a ton of knives, but I it increased the efficiency. So I think right around um, around last year, um, I think I sold my first knife. Perhaps um, I think that was I think it was January first that I sold my first knife to. Um, Keith Darish, an awesome guy. You can check him out on Instagram. He's a, a EDC guy, so he he posts a lot of uh, pictures of, of knives and stuff. And he he bought um, he bought a knife from me, and that was just amazing. And later in the day, um, Stephen Prather, uh, SDP Knives on Instagram, bought two knives from me. And that that was that was a huge moment. I had saved up some um, birthday and Christmas money already, and I think I also sold one more knife after that to um, like as to my family. My um, it was as a birthday gift. My grandparents bought a knife from me, and it was it was that last uh, amount of money that got me my 2x72 grinder from a merit braid and it was that was a huge moment for me when I got it I was so happy and I I got the motor on it and uh it was you know it's so fast and it's so efficient at at grinding away steel that you can you can focus a lot less on that part of the process and focus a lot more on uh the finishing details so you know you have a lot more time to finish and make a nice knife and then eventually people will want those knives and I, I got a few more customers after that and that was that's when I got most of my customers is after my 2x72 yeah and that well, I'm agreeing with you constantly today we seem we've been following the same path largely I, I've mentioned this before on previous episodes, but it's been a while, so I'll go over my, my journey into business again. Um, so I was super lucky. My grandpa helped me. He, 
he bought my 2x72 and I paid him back completely. Uh, just recently, actually, which felt really good. And so I really appreciated that because it just so happened that I actually got it right as I was working on my very first commission, which, you know, a guy on Instagram just sent me a random, like a DM. I didn't say I was selling my work or anything, and he just sent me a DM and said, how much would it cost for, you know, a chef's knife? Like, make whatever you like, and I'd love to buy it. And that was so huge. It was right at the time when I was starting to feel like I could sell it, which was convenient. Um, and then, yeah, I made that blade. It turned out really nice. It was by far my best ever work. I spent like two months working on it. It was cold in my unheated garage, and it was, the whole process was awkward. And then right as I, I actually got the 2x72 right after I finished the blade, and then I did the handle on the 2x72, which was already just such a big step up. And from then on, yeah, when he posted pictures of his knife on his story, then I got like two or three orders. The next guy that posted his, uh, I got a couple more. And then one guy that has 75 or something, almost 100,000 followers on Instagram, um, ordered a knife. And that was huge. When he post posted about it, I got lots of orders. And uh, then he actually ordered another one, which I thought was supposed to be for a giveaway, but I don't remember ever seeing the giveaway, so he might have liked it. Yeah. And so, yeah, the 2x72 is everything. And I appreciate my grandpa so much. And my grandma, you know, has shared money. My grandparents, uh, thank you guys again for helping me with the belt sander. Yeah, big difference. Yeah, I got, um, I remember getting one time just, uh, a DM from someone in Germany who uh, ordered like one knife and then he ordered he ordered um, just an EDC knife then he ordered a a chef's knife and uh, recently he sent me a bunch of or well, not recently like a few months ago he sent me a bunch of designs that he wants me to make so I've made like two for him or well actually these are like the the two that I've finished um, a few months ago. I haven't sent them out to him yet. Um, those are the fourth the those are the fourth knives that I've um, that I've made f from his own designs. So that's wow. pretty cool. I've got probably like six or eight total knives that he's got probably six or eight total knives for me. Not sure exactly how much. Yeah, and repeat customers are so great. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's part of the thing about, you know, being handmade and being a one-person shop. You start to make relationships with people. And that's all the branding that goes with your business is just you. Yeah. And I'm curious, just because I've been trying to figure it out for myself over the last year, how do you package your knives to ship? Okay, uh, that's... So that was something that I was trying to figure out, and I never got, I never got a very, you know, a very uh, <laughs> nice system to package. It's usually like bubble wrap, but I did make like some, some, um, what are they called? Business cards that I printed out on a uh, cardstock paper, and you know, I cut one out for each knife that is sold and. And uh, each knife comes with one, and 
that's pretty much all there is to it. I mean, I covered the edges with a piece of cardboard. Then sometimes I'll I'll wrap the no like every time pretty much I'll wrap the knife in a bubble wrap, and either I'll send it out in a small uh, USPS flat rate box or um, or padded envelopes or it depends uh, the size of the knife pretty much. But uh, that's not something that you know. I I know some people have like their own uh, custom packages with uh, their logo on it and I've never really thought that it's worth it I mean the person usually once they get the knife they're not gonna really look at the box again maybe if it's a really nice box they'll keep it and save it but most of the time I think they'll throw the box away and just keep the knife obviously keep the knife but you know the knife is the knife is what they want not the box yeah so I guess as long as it gets it, they're safe. And that's been my philosophy up to now. I'll wrap the blade and handle in a in a layer of saran wrap with a little bit of mineral oil underneath it. Yep, I do. So that it's, that's all nice. And then a layer of duck, or a layer of bubble wrap and then a layer of cardboard around the blade and then a separate piece wrapped around the handle and all that covered in tapes so that the, the knife itself is completely encased in bubble wrap and cardboard separate from everything else and then i just stuff the box with we get those uh those puffy oh. like little bags of air from amazon orders and i'll stick a bunch of those in there and then fill in the rest of the gaps with bubble wrap and i slip in a little care sheet and um yeah that's how i do it although recently i used uh what do you call that one of those like a tube that you would put like a poster or a big map or any any large piece of paper, you'd roll it up and put it in a tube. And so I did the same thing that I just described, but in that tube, and I really liked that. So that's something that I think is going to be sort of normal from now on. I'll print my logo out onto sticker paper and then just cut out some stickers to toss on there. Although I'm looking at making stickers. and So yeah, it's loose right now. I would like to get to the point of using only biodegradable things, so no plastic. But for now, I'm just using whatever gets me there. Yeah, that is that's actually a good idea. I would love to have a uh, completely biodegradable uh, packages, but that is the yeah that is difficult. Although I'm sure you could find companies that sell like, you know, they make biodegradable plastic now, so I'm sure you could find yeah. a biodegradable bubble wrap or stuff like that. Or I bet you you could just use like that paper. Like yeah. butcher's paper, you know that like thick brown paper, and just crumple it up. I bet you it'd work just as good as any bubble wrap. They uh, is what you're talking about the the rust resistant paper stuff that they make. Oh no, I don't know about that, but it's just sometimes you'll see things packaged. I think it's usually for like wrapping packages in. It's yeah, that, just like I don't know. yeah, there's just a bunch of paper in there, brown. Yeah, it's just that like thick brown paper. But I know that um. Alex Steele uses in in the packages that he sends out. I think he showed in a story or or maybe in a video where um he he mentioned that he uses rust resistant paper. I think it like I guess that would save you having to put uh, mineral oil on the on the knife because I do that too. But I don't know. I don't. At least yeah, it I wonder if it's like an oil oily paper. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, there's lots to think about. I've been looking at custom packaging, sort of wishing, you know. It makes a nice pres. 
It it almost matters more if you're selling in a store. Yes, certainly. But uh, yeah, if if it's gonna be like in uh, if if there's gonna be like multiple of them just on a shelf, sitting on a shelf, you don't want it to be just like wrapped in bubble wrap and <laughs> sitting on the shelf. That's kind no. of online though. It's less important, I suppose. Yeah. It's... Although I like the tube. The tube makes it look a little bit nicer. Yeah. Because a bit more unique. Yeah, but for now, that's what I'm going to be using. Wow, we are just hit the one-hour mark, and it's felt like a minute. It's been a great conversation so far. It might just be one minute, actually. Yeah, well, it feels like it. Yeah. You know, time fly. you know what they say. So, let's, uh, I got two more questions, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. I can smell my dinner, and it's just getting harder to focus here so you said that your dad is a hobbyist woodworker and so you know you've been around tools your family knows about tools and i don't know what size city or town you live in but uh what do your what do your family and friends think about your knife making um that's actually a very interesting question um i happen to be the only one that really makes knives in my uh like in my surroundings like i don't have any friends that do it or most of my friends are like focused on uh video games so they'll they'll play video games all day but um i mean no they won't play video games all day but you know that's mostly what they do and sometimes i'll play video games with them cuz video games are fun but uh but my brothers um they don't really, they don't really uh, do anything uh, in the shop. They uh, they'll play video games too. Or uh, I have a br one brother that's really into um, music, so he plays guitar. And um, my my mom, she thinks that uh, it's <laughs> knife making is a bit noisy, so I do get complaints for noise from my family, not for not from neighbors or anything. And my dad, the only really major complaint is that is the metal dust in a wood workshop it's terrible it's it's mostly a wood workshop and then i have like my little corner where there's the belt sander and stuff but the dust most of it goes in like in the water bucket but some of it still somehow it flies away to like a pile of wood or stuff like that and it yeah it really is disgusting and i kind of wish i had a better way to um to get rid of it I might do some sort of like, you know, those vacuums that have a water bucket in the middle. So yeah. like the vacuum won't catch on fire, but uh, I might have to do that. Oh, uh, did you see uh, Jesse Who's yep, dust collection system? That is, yeah, that's exactly what I'm, what I'm uh, talking about. And he was on the podcast, Who Handmade Knives, Jesse Who. Go check out that episode. It's a good one. Yeah, awesome but, guy. Yeah, I'd love to have a dust collection. Although I find that wood dust in a metal shop is worse. Um, I once didn't have any water in my, what would you call it? Not a slag tub. You know, the bucket that you keep under your under your sander to catch the dust. Yeah. And my water had, you know, evaporated away and I didn't notice. And I ground a bunch of wood in there and it was like all flaky and a nice fluffy pile of wood dust. Oh. And I casually just ground some, you know, the end off my piece of steel when I was forging in there. 
and tossed some sparks down into the bucket and left and went outside to keep forging. And I came back in and my garage was full of smoke. And that Whoa. pile of uh, dust was just this pile of smoking embers. And I was like, oh, no. So I keep that. I make sure it's full of water now because uh, that just was an issue. Today. Uh, you've probably seen, I don't know if you've seen on my story. but yeah, on your story. I posted, um, like, it, it looked like a snowflake, pretty much. A lot of people thought it was frost, or I posted a picture of the top of it and of that bucket, and a lot of people thought that it was snowflakes. And I I actually thought it was some form of frost at the at the beginning. I was like, no way, it's not that cold. But, um, yeah, I do make sure that there's water in there because sometimes I'll grind wood, but whenever I'm going to do a lot of wood on my belt sander, I have like this little arm that I'll mount that like swings out and I'll mount the um, vacuum on it. And um, yeah, when I do a lot of wood, I'll, I'll use the vacuum, but only only the water bucket for steel. Yeah, yeah, you definitely don't want to be uh, vacuuming up. You know, could you imagine if you had your sparks going into a vacuum that's full of wood dust? Yeah, that would then that would be worse than like, a bucket. The air coming in that would just be like, it would just be a bonfire. Well, what a great way to make a forge. Yep, a great. Yeah, that's not safe. Not recommended. Don't try at home. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, I guess yeah. The lesson is just clean up after yourself. I think. It's something that I struggle with often, but I, I try to clean up most of the time. Sometimes I'm just way too tired and I, I don't feel like cleaning up and I'll just leave the shop like that and I'll clean up the next time or the time after that or sometimes even the time after that. It's yeah. just a matter of procrastination. It happens, it happens to the best of them. Yeah. But... I'm more, now I'm working in a shop at my grandparents' place. My grandpa can pop in there any time, and he's, he'll give you a nice disapproving look if your shop space is dirty. So Yeah, it's it's really always nicer to work in a, in a clean shop. And oh, so much better. I, I think that the metal dust, I actually really don't like the metal dust. I don't like the grinding process overall because... Um, You'll just get metal dust all over you, and it's it gets everywhere. And it's not like wood dust where you can just like shake it off. The metal dust will stick to your clothes, and uh, yeah, I do not like. No, it. we plan on putting up a curtain around the grinding area that you can like open or close when you're not grinding. You can have it nice and open, but when you're grinding, you can keep all your dust contained. And so I'm really excited to have that. Yeah, that is a that's a good idea. Because especially wood dust just goes everywhere. Yeah. That's something that uh, I really wish I... I don't have the space to do that, but it's something that I've seen a, a lot of people do. Kind of like make a sort of grinding room with a, with just like a curtain or like like you said, a, pretty much a tarp. And it's... I don't really have the space to do that because otherwise like I would just have a, a super small grinding area and... <laughs> And uh, the rest of the shop would would be full. It would still be full, but I don't have enough space to make a dedicated yeah. grinding area. No, it never worked in my garage either, but in this new shop, it 
it's gonna be pretty nice. I gotta brag a little bit. It's gonna be pretty nice. About about how large is your new shop? Um, I really couldn't. Maybe like twenty-five by twenty-five. Oh, nice. It's it's a good size. Um, what? Cause my tent is ten by twenty. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, maybe twenty by twenty, somewhere around there. Nice. That is. It's big enough for what I need for sure. And it's, but it's not too big to heat, which is nice. Cause right now I only got, I only have the wood stove running, but today it got nice and toasty in there. Nice. That's, that's nice to. I honestly, I, I kind of wish it was. Uh, I kind of wish it were, it was colder in the, in uh, in Louisiana because it's during the summers it's incredibly hot and it's way too hot to forge and i still do it but like i'll go through like three water bottles and uh yeah. it is Stay hydrated it's exhausting too yeah not good for forging but uh even like most people stay inside during the summer in louisiana it's just overall if you if you had a um, air-conditioned shop it would be perfect but uh not the case here. Uh, we we get just too hot in the summer, and then in the winter it's too cold to do anything anywhere. Oh yeah, Canada. I hear it's like it gets super cold. Well, last like during February, like I don't know, early February is when it really hits its bottom, and we'll have like one week there where it's I don't know minus forty, which is you know if you're outside for. I think it's exposed skin gets frostbite in five minutes or something in that temperature. Like, it's just, it's just stupid. Wow. <laughs> it's so awful. But, you know, and then that it gets, is, uh, it does get hot enough in the that, summer that I don't like to forge. Yeah. But minus 40 is, it's, we've got a couple months ridiculous. before it's that cold. Oh, Wow. I can't imagine. I cannot just like. Do you guys get blizzards? Like I know, uh, in in Louisiana, like the type of storm that we get is uh, our hurricanes. We've had a lot of hurricanes, or at least tropical storms most of the time. But they can turn into hurricanes, and um, we've had a lot of them. And there's been a lot of um, damage caused by them, especially in my area. Usually, there's not not much. And I've been lucky, like, there were a lot of trees that fell around my house, but none of them fell on, on our property, which is, that's just, that's um, a miracle. It's amazing. But oh, that's I don't... scary. Yeah, it is. It is pretty scary. But do you guys ever get, like, snowed in with uh, yeah. snowstorms or blizzards? Um, we, I'm a little bit more north. Like, where I used to live in Calgary gets a little bit more snow. Um... But we we have so many blizzards in Alberta that we have to use a different classification system for blizzards. So it doesn't count as a blizzard here until it's like more intense than everywhere else. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I learned that in like grade four or something in a presentation. So I might be making it up. But I think I remember hearing that. We, we get enough blizzards here that it... But we don't get so much snow that you can't open the door. Okay, yeah. Well, okay, not often. It's happened. 
like uh, how many like how much snow what would you get with like that the maximum how much snow well yesterday we got i don't know six or seven inches just in one day yeah that's was... more than uh we would ever get in france over like the entire winter see yeah this is just november but I th and last year was super snowy actually so you know we might get but yeah, no, you can you you can always get outside. You just don't want to. I think it's a little bit more south when you get in like Minnesota and Montana and stuff like that. I think they get a little bit more snow, whereas up here it's colder and less snow. Yeah, it's a little drier. In the winter, it's so dry though. Like your skin and your lips and stuff are just dry. Yeah, I I uh. That is, that's what happens to me just in a winter here. It gets, it's usually super humid in Louisiana. Louisiana is like notorious or like most of the South in the United States is notorious for being this, uh, this humid. But, um, um, I'm just, I guess I'm not used to it, but like my hands will get super dry and during the winter and it's already started. Like I can tell that like sometimes my hands just, they kind of hurt, you know, and and your lips too, yeah. Your lips get really dry. It's um, just in the winter with with it being colder. There's less there's less water in the air, so yeah. Um, winter winter sucks. Summer sucks. No, summer is good. I and this year we had a really rainy summer, which everyone else complained about, but I love. I rain is a blacksmith's best friend. Rain. Yeah. Really. Is there anything better than forging on like a rainy day? I don't know. Not, I mean, if you're if you've got an inside shop, but up until oh. recently, I didn't have a roof for blacksmithing. My shop is, uh, I don't know if I've ever posted. Probably, I should probably make a post. Maybe I will one day. But like, my shop is um, like eight by ten, blacksmithing shop, and I don't think you could even call it a shop. I guess you could, but it it doesn't have any walls. So when it's raining, I only have the roof, the metal roof. So, um. If it's if there's a lot of wind, the rain will still get in, and like it can reach up all the way to the center of a ten foot long shop, and that that's where my anvil is, and uh, it's during hurricanes I will my my anvil is just completely rusted after a hurricane, so. Okay, how often do you have hurricanes? You're you're saying this like it's a it's like a normal thing. Well, it's not like every day, but this year it's been especially bad. I mean, with it being 2020, you got to have like a, like a world record amount of of uh, hurricanes. But um, we've had like two major ones this year, Hurricane Laura and Hurricane Delta. Uh, at least in my area, that's where it's been uh, major. So you're, you're a state or two inland though, right? You're not right on the coast, are you? Uh, no, Louisiana is right on the coast. In fact, oh. let me let me look this up. Um, How did I not know that? Oh well, just should goes to show you. But why do I think? Anyways, so I guess then you would get hurricanes pretty bad. Yeah, we're actually thirty-five miles. My city is thirty-five miles away from uh, the coast. Wow. So yeah, not that much. No, I'm landlocked. Alberta is is pretty far from the ocean. We got lots of lakes though. Oh yeah. I've been to um to Canada, especially in uh Alberta and uh 
is I think Banff is that how it's I think yeah it's Banff. Banff yeah and in, in those two areas it was it's beautiful it's amazing during the summer it was so like you know it wasn't yeah <laughs> it wasn't during the winter I'm sure I wouldn't enjoy uh I don't think I would enjoy Canada during the winter Man, next time you're up here you're gonna have to come make a knife yeah if I've Honestly, yeah, next time I'm up in Canada, like, there's so many people around, uh, like, I know in, uh, Calgary, there's, um, I think it's, he's in Calgary, uh, Simple Little Life. So, yeah, he's, a he's pretty close to me, actually. Yeah, there's, like, around that area, there's so many cool people that I want to, I just want to meet all those people. And I, I know, like, of course, not everyone would agree, but I'm sure if I ever, if I came up there, you would, you would probably agree, right? Agree, agreed that there's lots of people. No, agree to, agree to like meet up and. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Something and yeah. Yeah, as far as I can tell, I'm the only. Well, I guess Ethan Hardy is a young maker, but you know, there's there's not a lot of, uh, you know, none of my friends make knives or nothing. So yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to have a pal around. Are there Sounds any good. blacksmithing associations near where you where you live? Yes, I've never gone. Um. I always mean to, but I honestly just forget. Um, it's like the Northern Alberta Blacksmith Association or something like that. Oh. And, you know, I've always meant to attend a meeting every Sunday, I think. That is, yeah, that is interesting. Every Sunday. So is it like, uh, how does it work? For me, the LAMA, the Louisiana Middlesmith Association, it's every, it's like every every second thursday of the month so oh. it's always no, it's the f sorry go ahead so it's always like at a different person's shop which is really cool it's uh you get to go to all these different shops and see their tools one of one of the shops had a homemade built press that was rated to 165 tons <laughs> that was that was crazy they were um working on on processing some um an iron bloom that they had made which is, it's just so cool how uh, everything goes on. and Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Um, ours, there's like a location that they meet at every, it's the first Sunday of the month, not every Sunday. That's, you reminded me. Okay. Um, but yeah, I've just, you know, never, never gone. But yeah, apparently there's forges and stuff, and people get together. I think they have a library, and you can just learn some stuff. You get to just uh, forge whatever you want. Sorry, my dog is. All the all the podcasters on the Makery Network have problems with their dog, and I'm having my 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 cat is uh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Another unprofessional moment. Yeah, don't worry. My cat is going crazy right now too. Um. So, anyways, you get to just forge whatever you you like, like, because that's how it's in. Uh, as far as I can tell, it seems. Yeah, I don't think it's classes. I think it's just meetings. Everybody comes to hang out and, you know, get together, uh, forge cool. some stuff. We have a, a demonstrator, but like, they they. A lot of people bring anvils and forges and just you have fun, make whatever you want and uh, 
you know, it's the whole day there's there's food and uh, you get oh. to talk to a bunch of cool people. It's 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 awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go to a meeting sometime soon. Yes, you sounds good. It is a lot of fun. At least my association is a lot of fun. Probably the same for you. You know, blacksmiths everywhere are fun. It's a great community, it really is. Yeah. So, that about brings us to the end of the show. Uh, I think that's a good note to end on, appreciating the community. Yep. And that's an advantage of being a young maker is the community around you is just super strong and, you know, wants to help you out. And with that, I would like to thank you for coming on the show on such short notice. I messaged this guy like two hours, three hours ago, you know, just like wondering if you wanted to come on and he was good to go. So thank you so much for coming on, you know, and thank you. Thank you so much for having me, dude. It's been a blast. Um, it's this podcast is awesome, honestly. Well, thank you. And you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you. So. Perhaps it's not the last time you'll be on. We'll see. I'm looking into having some repeat guests and having a couple people on at once and just, you know, having a good time. So, yep. you know, Oops. we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah. Thanks again for having for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. After you're done this, go check out all the other shows on the Makery Network. Uh, lots of knife making shows, lots of general shop talk shows like the the handmade podcast uh work for it is somewhere between knife making and shop talk you know we've got a machinist on there i have an episode on the work for it podcast go check that out and yeah enjoy all the shows on there they're all fantastic they were all born from craig lockwood of knife talk podcast which is the kingpin of the network and he is what does jeff always call him i don't know he's the ruler of the network though so give him some love. Uh, well, don't bother him though. Just give him love by listening to the show. Just go listen to the makery. You won't regret it. And yeah, with that, you know everybody. Oh, this show just. <laughs> I'm having a hard time signing off today, guys. I'm sorry. And I call this improfessional moment number three. We need to start like a drinking game, or not alcohol, of course. It's young makers. No, a water drinking game, a hydration game. Uh, every time Kenzie is unprofessional, you guys have to take a sip of water. Um, <laughs> so this show is streaming on Makery every Tuesday morning. You can check it out on your ride to work or whatever. Uh, listen in the shop. Listen whenever. Send me a DM or anything with questions, comments, concerns. If you want to be on the show, anything like that, at Young Makers Podcast, all one word on Instagram. Um, I just love to hear it. Like, comment, review. I don't know. There's a lot of podcasts. Ooh, sorry. There's a lot of things you can listen to on the. Po- There's a lot of. So- oh, number four. There's a lot of different ways you can access the podcast, and so I don't know what type of reviews or whatever you can leave. But like it, review it, listen to it. I really appreciate everything you guys do for the show. And until next time, keep making, keep listening. Good night.
If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. 